Jay Guru. Today we will continue reading My Life, Its Legacy and Message by Pandit Shri Ram Sharma Acharya. Chapter 11 The Fourth and Final Pilgrimage to the Himalayas. Message was received. As in the past, and I was summoned to the Himalayas for the fifth time for a week in June of 1984. There was no question of any delay in compliance with the instructions. Although physically I have been engaged in doing the work entrusted to me, my soul has always remained in the inaccessible Himalayas with Gurudev, who lives in the Himalayas, but whose soul always hovers around me. His voice always echoes in my inner self in the form of inspiration. My heart, mind, and soul dance to his tunes. The journey was difficult as before. This time, on account of my spiritual maturity, I was summoned in my astral body, which had to appear again in three tests simultaneously. As before, I reached Gomuk, and from there I was escorted to Tapovan. I never asked where Gurudev's astral body lives and what it does. I'm only familiar with our meeting place, the velvety carpet. I picked up the flower known as Brahmakamra and placed it at the holy feet of Gurudev. This time also, after exchange of usual salutations and blessings, conversation started. Throughout the journey, I was thinking that whatever I was called earlier, I was asked to leave the old place. Probably, this may happen this time too. I may be asked to leave Shantikunj and live in this Rishi Ashram and may be entrusted with some important work here. Gurudev expressed satisfaction with the work done thus far. I humbly told him that although everything was being accomplished by him, its credit was being given to me. Having fully surrendered myself to him, it was for him to take that from me, whatever work he wished. Gurudev said, whatever you are asked to do till now was local and ordinary, which can be done by any sufficiently evolved and elevated soul as was done in the past. All these works till now will be carried on by your followers, and you will have to take up more important responsibilities. These days, the physical and subtle environment has become so poisonous and polluted that not only human dignity, but the very existence of human species has been endangered. The future seems to be grim, dark, and dreadful. To flush this poison out of the collective physical and subtle spheres, we have to do indirectly all that which may be called unique and supernatural. The air surrounding the earth, its waters and land have all become poisonous. Scientific advancement has been made in unholy alliance with the diabolic greed and self-indulgence and the poison has been spread everywhere by mechanization on account of which the risks of infirmity, disease and ultimate extinction seem imminent. The danger of irresponsible reckless or inadvertent use of nuclear weapons by immature or refined persons in authority causing mass-scale annihilation is also there. Children are being born like mushrooms. What will they eat? Where will they live? All these horrifying forebodings and possibilities coupled with the poisonous atmosphere would turn this earth into a veritable hell. Whoever lives in this environment force indulges in evil thoughts and deeds, resulting in immediate miseries. Holocaust appears to be imminent. This is the result of invisible pollution in the atmosphere. Persons living in such conditions will behave like beasts and devils. It pains me to see humanity in the earth, 
which is the highest creations of God turn into hell. Humanity is heading towards a great devastation. A huge mountain will have to be uplifted, as did Sri Krishna to save his people from the wrath of Indra, the rain god. A vast sea will have to be bridged and crossed to solve these problems, and for this you will have to take great strides like Vaman. For this you will have to become fivefold and take up strategic positions, like Kunti, you will have to create five Devputras, deploy them on specific fronts, and assign them different tasks. Interjecting in the middle of the talk, I said it was for illumined souls like him to think about and find out solutions for these momentous problems. So far as I was concerned, I was his child, a puppet in his hands, and was prepared to dance to his tune. I asked Gurudev to kindly direct me what I had to do. Right from the performance of 24 Mahasapuras Charanas of Gayatri to participation in the movement for independence, from lifting the pen and start writing to the performance of huge yagyas and raising up a huge organization, I had simply played the role of his instrument. I told him that I knew it very well whose power was working behind all these accomplishments. How could I therefore suggest or give advice? I told him I will do whatever I was asked to do. Every drop of blood and every cell of my body and my inner consciousness, I said, was surrendered to him for the service of humanity. I was given necessary instructions and indications and was told you have to transform yourself from one to five. You have to do five types of austerities in five different manners, as was done by messenger of Ram or by five Pandavas. Five birds can live on a tree you have to transform into five. This is known as Sukshimi Karana. These five emanations will discharge these colossal tasks. You have to nourish and strengthen these five astral bodies so long as they do not get matured and are able to function independently. This may take one year or more. When they become powerful enough, leave them to do their own work independently. When the time is ripe, you will shed your visible physical form. This was the guidance given by Gurudev. It was explained in detail what was to be done, how it was to be done. I am not permitted to disclose all those details. I am doing what I have been asked to do. It could be summed up as follows. Purification of atmosphere, refinement of the environment, ushering in of a new era, neutralization of the danger of mass destruction, creation and development of divinized humanity, or Devman. Gurudev told me these five steps of austerities had to be done, how my single entity was to be transformed into five entities, and how the dual roles of Dadichi and Bhagirath were to be played. He said, for this, you will have to retire from worldly activities and focus all your scattered energies. This is Sukshmikarana. Gurudev continued, you will be indicated from time to time what has to be done. You will be protected from demoniac assaults which will be mounted to terminate your life with a view to abort the plan. There may be repetition of the earlier attack at any time in the form of assault on righteous Parijans, but I will provide protection in all such eventualities. Now start entrusting your outer work to competent, efficient Parijans so that you may be free from all the responsibilities and worries of the work of this mission. The great change which is in my mind will be disclosed to you at the proper time. Premature disclosure of the strategy in such a critical time is bound to do harm. 
This time I was not detained for a long time, and there was no talk about recharging my battery. Guru Dev said, My energy will always be with you in invisible form. Myself and the Rishis will always remain and work with you. You will never feel any dearth or lack of spiritual power. In fact, it will increase five times. I was given the farewell, and I returned to Shantikunj. My Shukshmi Karana sadhana started on Ram Navmi in 1984. Tapas essential for the growth of spiritual power. After returning from England, Aurobindo took all the measures to force the Britishers to leave India. Indian princes were organized, students were mobilized, and a new party was formed. But he soon realized that these stray efforts would be of no avail to confront the might of the powerful British army. It was not possible in those days to do something like Gandhiji's Satyagraha. He, therefore, took up the work of generating spiritual power to warm up the atmosphere. He went out of the reach of the Britishers, lived in seclusion in Pondicherry, and started doing special tapascharya sadhana. People may regard it as an act of escapism, but it is not so. Those having keen observation knew it very well that Aurobindo generated powerful invisible energy by his tapascharya. The subtle atmosphere was warmed up, giving birth to a number of great personages at a time which was unprecedented in the history of the country. Anybody can be a political leader, but he is not necessarily a great man. Great persons are great from every point of view, and they possess the capacity to visibly and invisibly move and influence the public mind. Having lost everything on account of slavery over a period of 2,000 years, the country needed such helmsmen who could lead the nation out of difficulties. They were all born at one time in large numbers, like whirlwinds in hot summer. Thus, in due course, Aurobindo's dream was fulfilled. In the history of spiritual sciences, tapascharya and sadhana have been regarded as the only means for higher attainments. This cannot be done by clinging to a luxurious, comfortable lifestyle. It needs single-pointed concentration towards the achievement of the noble aim. At the time of writing, 18 Puranas, Vyas retired to a cave near Vasudhara in Uttarakhand. Ganesh undertook to help him as his scribe on the condition that he will not interrupt and will keep totally silent. Such an important work could not have been accomplished without his uninterrupted concentration. Maharshi Raman remained engaged in tapascharya and observed silence during the period of struggle for independence. Besides, several other elevated saints in the Himalayas performed specific tapascharya for this purpose. This invisible spiritual contribution cannot be seen and appreciated with material senses. Persons having spiritual insight alone know its truth. Keeping in mind the view, the principle that means have to be in accord with the importance of a particular end, specific tapascharya is being performed these days to change for the better the quality of present atmosphere. Its nature and standards are therefore difficult. In the beginning, I was entrusted with the task of refining public attitudes and stimulating enthusiasm in the masses for constructive activities. This could not have been done merely by setting up an organization and preparing speakers, musicians, resources of publicity, etc. Gurudev, who understood the reality very well, had therefore entrusted only one task in the beginning, that of performing 24 Gayatri Mahapurusha Charanas for 24 years. The credit for all of the accomplishments during the last 30 years goes to this initial tapascharya, 
which served as a fixed deposit capital. At that time, also, it was not restricted merely to performing a fixed number of jep. Several restrictions, disciplines, and pledges were also attached to it. Jep of a fixed number of mantras can be performed by anybody who is sitting idle, but accomplishment of any great task cannot be achieved merely by such symbolic worship. It has to be linked up with the strict tapascharya, which energizes and rejuvenates physical, astral, and causal bodies, and makes them strong in all respects. Accumulated sins and impurities act as great impediments in the path of spiritual progress. They can be burnt out by putting them in the furnace of tapascharya. When iron ore is taken out from the earth, it is raw and crude. Similar is the case with other metals. They have to be put in a burning furnace to purify them and make them fit for use. Valuable medicines, pasma, etc. are prepared by Ayurvedic physicians and by purifying raw materials with fire. The, the potter has to put his raw pots in a kiln and apply requisite heat. The same rule applies to human beings. Service, sadhana, religious pursuits of the rishis are all apparent deeds, but for acquiring power to achieve some specific goal, they have to undergo great intensive tapascharya from time to time. Every great person has to do this. This austerity is in his own way, because without it, divine powers cannot be invoked, received, augmented, and retained. So long as there is no piety, brilliance, and maturity in the personality of a man, he cannot achieve remarkable, significant, and praiseworthy success. How can a tree which has no deep roots stand against the vagaries of nature and flourish? The fundamental principles of tapascharya are self-restraint, sanyam, the proper utilization of resources. By observing the restraint of sense organs, indriya sanyam, a man remains healthy, and the store of his willpower never gets exhausted. By exerting restriction in respect of spending money, Arthasanyam, a man has to lead a simple life of an average citizen and maintain himself on his own simple earned honest earnings. Best utilization of one's own time is known as Samayasanyam, in which a set work routine has to be followed and body and mind are applied to specific useful pursuits. This leaves no time for indulging in evil deeds. By exercising restraint in respect of thoughts, vikarsanyam, the outlook of a person becomes devout, spiritual, and religious, and it becomes easy for him to perform sadhana of bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, and karma yoga. Self-restraint, or sanyam, means saving. By exercising sanyam of these four kinds, much energy is saved. After meeting worldly needs, which can be utilized in serving noble purposes, such a person leads a relaxed, happy, jovial life and accomplishes his personal as well as an universal good. Gurudev had taught me 60 years back to follow this path which I have been following strictly ever since. The only purpose in calling me to the Himalayas from time to time was to maintain my enthusiasm and industriousness and strengthen my faith in the efficacy of tapascharya. By doing sadhana on Bhagirat Shila and Gangotri, I got the power to launch Pragya Abhiyan and thus help in the descent of Gyan Ganga, the stream of knowledge on this earth. While I was in the ashram of Pashuram in Uttarkashi, I got the battle axe, with the help of which I could create turbulence and anger in the minds of the people against widespread per perversion. According to the scriptures, Parashuram had beheaded several tyrants a number of times. 
My activity was confined to annihilation of the evil tendencies lodged in the human mind. Vikarkranti and Pragyabhyan are not only achieved on a large scale with great success by the power of tapascharya and not by any miracle or coincidence. This is a summary of the past activities. I have now been directed by Gurudev, to whose tune I have been dancing as a puppet throughout my life, to make a big leap in this direction. Now I have to enter into a new, higher level of tapascharya. The general public knows only that I am living in seclusion and not meeting anybody. This information is incomplete. A person whose whole being is full of diligence, industriousness, punctuality, and order cannot live a useless, inactive life, as is being assumed. I am required to do comparatively far more work, and I remain far more busier while living in seclusion. Although I have adopted the practice of not meeting people, I have established contact with many illumined immortal souls, whose company I have aspired to enjoy perennially, and which would not have been possible in the normal course. How can it be then said to be a life of seclusion? There has been only a change in the method of working. The type of persons who used to meet me and the subjects of the meetings have changed. Mystics always adopt such methods. They appear to be inactive, although they remain extremely busy. When a top revolves with full speed, it appears to be standing motionless. The fact that it is in motion can be noticed only when its speed is slowed down and it starts stumbling and falling. In those days, when Einstein was busy in conducting important research, it changed his entire routine of life. He used to live all alone in a huge building where all facilities were available, all the books, literature, instruments of research, assistants, and colleagues were readily available at hand, but they were kept away from him so that Einstein's concentration may not be disturbed. He used to ring a bell and get everything which he wanted through his attendant. Visitors waited for months to see him. It was only thus that it became possible for him to make his valuable contributions to humanity, which amazed the entire world. The rishis and tapasvis also lived a similar life in seclusion in the ancient times. They were engaged in conducting researches on several planes relating to spiritual science. They used to select some quiet scheduled place and got absorbed in their work with full concentration. I have also been directed to do some very important new type of tasks. The first is to activate the dormant spiritual power to neutralize the probability of a worldwide holocaust. The second is to provide necessary inspiration and strength to constructive workers, Shrajan Shilpis, without which they will be unable to do their work satisfactorily. Third is to initiate and raise the structure of those righteous tendencies which will act as guidelines in building the new era. All these tasks cannot be performed all alone through the physical body, which has a limited range of power to meet physical needs, and can render help to a limited number of proximate persons. It is necessary to develop the astral and causal bodies for doing more important and extensive work. When all these three bodies become equally strong and active, then alone it will be possible to accomplish the momentous deeds in accordance with the will of the time spirit, Mahakali. Ramakrishna Paramhans was placed almost under similar circumstances. He was required to accomplish a task of worldwide dimensions. As per plan, he transfused his power into Vivekananda and took upon himself the responsibility of making the task of the latter easy and successful from behind the scene. Such a stupendous task could not have been accomplished through the physical body. He therefore abandoned it without hesitation.
He also had overspent his energy by liberally conferring boons. He voluntarily got afflicted with cancer, discharged his debt, and got engaged in doing the work through Vivekananda. So who did it all according to the direction of the Supreme Master? When Ramakrishna withdrew to the astral realm, his physical absence caused pain and sadness. But all that had happened was for the greatest good. After his physical death, Ramakrishna's power had increased a thousandfold, and many righteous works were done, not only in the country, but in the whole world. When he was alive, he could give his blessings to some disciples and transfuse his spiritual powers into Vivekananda. But when he got the opportunity to act through the astral and causal bodies, he could do far greater works, which can hardly be understood or quantified. The life of Jesus Christ has also been of the same type. He struggled hard throughout his life, but could make only 13 persons as his disciples. When he found out that his physical body would not be able to do as much work as he wanted, he took the help of his astral body and invisibly helped in the spread of Christianity throughout the world. On such occasions, great persons voluntarily chose painful death to clear their past accounts. Crucifixion of Christ, taking poison by Socrates, Sri Krishna's getting hit by an arrow, Pandavas getting frozen in the Himalayas, Gandhi's being shot, are all events which indicate that all great persons who want to enter from the physical into the astral form to accomplish still greater tasks give up their bodies in such a manner that it be regarded as a martyr's death and inspire generations to come. This has happened with me and is going to happen also in the future. End of chapter 11. Jai Gurudev.